0: Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And today we'll be discussing season one, episode 24, Sia. This episode originally
1: aired May 8th, 2012. The writer was the creator of the show, Elizabeth Meriwether, and the director was Michael Spiller, who last directed episode 22, Tomatoes. In Sia, Nick is moving out to live with Caroline, but he gets cold feet and drives to the desert instead. He throws his keys into the canyon in a moment of nervousness. Jess and Cece drive out to help them come back, but then Jess also throws her keys to keep Nick from going back to Caroline. So the gang spends a night together in the desert, and they work through both good times and tough parts of their friendship. So the whole premise around this entire episode, as we said, is Nick is heading out. He's moving out of the loft. And initially what we see in this episode is everyone is like kind of mean to, to Nick about it and kind of harsh because like Jess especially is just laying in and you're just like, why? What? Like, I didn't understand it.
0: I know that Jess and Nick have kind of a special bond and we've seen that over the course of all these episodes. We see it in this episode even, but something about it, she's just personally hurt and feels like Nick did this to hurt her, which I don't know why she can't get out of her head and see that Nick thinks this is right for him, which even though Winston and Schmidt are mean in their own way, they're at least understanding that this is a decision he has to make for himself.
1: That's true. I do understand that. I guess I just, I I get too that like there's that like bond between Jess and Nick, but she's just kind of so petty about it. You know, like she's just like really laying it into, into the situation. I, at least I will say Schmidt and Winston, yeah, they're dealing with it and whatnot, but then they're acting in a way too. Like they're never going to see him again or never have him over to hang out with him. Like it's, he's moving out, but he's not like moving to Antarctica with no cellular connection or, or devices, you know, like, he's still going to be around. We know from this episode, like the move isn't successful. But like, even if he does move, it's not like he's going away, you know, so I I thought that was it's not like coach moving because
0: coach literally has gone away. (laughs) Right. But I think we don't really know what's happened in that relationship previously because he's lived with Caroline before. So maybe when he lives with Caroline, he's kind of MIA and isn't. But more than anything, I loved the way they called back to the plumber because Schmidt's like, I'm going to call a plumber and throw money at him. And every, every so often, we just get these references to how there's so much plumbing drama in this apartment.
1: Well, I feel like Winston's comment was even a callback as well because he was saying, you know, like, oh, I won't have to pay for you anymore. or Like, you won't have to owe me money because that was a whole thing that Nick owed him $483 or something like that. I think both of them, you know, had these callbacks. But then and then there it was really weird, though. Suddenly they cut to this, like, mouse trap dummy doll thing. And they're like, all the mice, all the rats come to see this thing because it's weird. I, I'm like... You could just like fill the hole, like block the mouse hole, why did like I don't know that's like a Nickism, I don't know. he creates these
0: things, who knows he's really smart about how he goes about it, but that doll was kind of weird to look at, but you know him walking out his like old Nickisms, as you're saying, like I loved how he was like, I've taken my fair share of rubber bands, yeah, it that was
1: that was really classic. I know he said, and then he said he had like a corpse in his room, and he's talking about how he has a dead. I think it was a a guinea pig or something in a, in a shoebox. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Nick. So Nick is getting prepared to leave in the, in the van and whatnot. And, and everyone's, you know, saying bye and whatnot. But in a way I'm like, wait, why is this like a whole goodbye? Because then Schmidt and Winston are going with him, but then Jess kind of stays behind. I I don't, I I was like, is this a whole thing or is this not a thing? And like, is just, just too
0: sad about it. I don't know. I think actually thinking back to what we said earlier about that first scene, I think because Jess doesn't support it, she won't go with him to help move and unpack into their home. And I mean, obviously for a comedic purpose of this show, but then in general, I think that's kind of a big part of it. But even like her sadness was interrupted by comedy when you see Remy come up and be sad behind them. Yeah. Like
1: Remy, just the fact that he was a callback in the show too. Like it it even had his stick with the point on it, you know, like the thing he had been sharpening. You're just like, this is so weird. (laughs) Like Remy, I think he said something kind of sexual too. You're just like, Remy, oh my gosh. Like for two seconds watching Nick move, you know, this is weird. But then, you know, so then they're in the moving van and they're, headed to the new apartment and everything and i honestly i it was like such a wrong feeling to hear nick miller nick miller get real excited about paint colors and bay windows and how excited he was i was like no you're not this is this is fake
0: nick fake nick don't believe it <laughs> no he was trying so hard not to be the guy that was in that video last episode that he is like throwing himself into what he thinks being an adult is And you could see that he was about to spiral out. For real.
1: For real. He was like, his face was like a half smile thing that you could tell was like totally fake and like plastered on. So then he goes, oh, and that's the apartment, drives right by and gets on the freeway. I did. Me and my, oh, I've been to LA like twice before self looked at the, like pause the screen to see like, okay, where was he going on the freeway and like where, which direction? And so it actually, I I don't know. I got really into this (laughs) he's 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 taking the 10 east in LA which they have a a ton of freeways there but I went in and looked and so if you really go east on the 10 you basically you get to Palm Springs and then beyond that even is desert like you're at the desert but 140 miles east would actually be past Palm Springs in the desert so it kind of works except where they were and like the canyon that they're, what they were seeing and like where the freeway was to me was not the kind of desert that's east because it gets really flat it was kind of more like north where there's actually canyons <laughs> you know so Kelly's take
0: hot take but <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they didn't actually go where they said they did to film it but how dare they how dare the <laughs> movies do that they're not supposed to do that <laughs> Oh dear! <laughs> oh, that actually like reminds me of how Schmidt reacted when they got there. You're like, "How dare they do that?" And Winston was like, "Like, what are you guys doing? Like, where where are we?" And Schmidt's just like, "Oh, we do this all the time. We just never invite you, Winston." Like, that's the same energy that your "how dare" <laughs> comes to.
1: Yeah, I I thought that was a really funny line too. Like, oh, like just that sarcasm. Like, oh yeah, Winston, we do this all the time. Like. It's too classic, <laughs> <laughs> but even even Nick, like you knew you knew he was spiraling too. When he's just like whoop de woo, what's new with Nick Miller? Like oh <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but like 140 miles too. That's such a long time for the three of them to be sitting in a car, and us to not see any part of it,
0: and nobody to pull him over and stop him from driving 140 miles. Like how could they not talk their friend out of this? in what is that like a two and a half hour drive? Yeah.
1: Well, in, and that's assuming there's no traffic, which in LA, 140 miles in whatever time that would regularly take like two and a half hours could easily take three and a half hours. So they could have been sitting in traffic (laughs) anyway, they were just excited. They were, (laughs) Nick drove them to the desert. (laughs) Nick drove
0: them (laughs) to the desert. And when Jess finds out about it, I love her line. That's just like, does it smell like new paint and compromise? Because she thinks he's at the, um, he, she thinks he's at the apartment. And it's just amazing. The amount of sarcasm in this episode and snark.
1: She was so salty. That is so, like that whole scene with Jess, but like specifically that line was so salty. And she's just like in a mood, you know, like she was like, not having it but yeah so they even call jess because nick arrives and he's freaking out and he says he's freaking out they're trying to calm him down but he throws his keys into the canyon in a like a moment he just is like no i'm not going back you know essentially and throws the keys and so that's when they call jess
0: And it's triggered by Winston saying, like, they calm him down. They actually get him all the way calm. And then Winston says, let's get you back to Caroline. And that's what triggers him to just throw the keys because he's so afraid of this that he literally can't drive back. Like, he'd rather be stranded in a desert than go home.
1: You know that somewhere deep down, Nick is really not sure of his relationship with Caroline like he's getting really nervous about it but then Caroline even calls right and he has this conversation and he's like oh no this can be okay because i mean good for Caroline like she at least was recognizing like hey this is a hard moment like this is big like i'm a, we're understanding of that but then nick on that phone call i don't know if you caught this but he literally says i love you and she says i love you back and i'm like whoa whoa this is a big moment for Nick Miller to say, I love you. Like, how how did we get to that? You know, I thought that was, and especially after he just started spiraling and drove to the desert. Like what? I, I was just like really surprised that that's how they left that conversation.
0: Well, I think that, again, I'm not a fan of Nick and Caroline, but I do think this was a really healthy moment of their relationship because he said, I freaked out. He was honest. He didn't spiral anymore. And he told her how he felt. She was understanding and said, I get it. Just get home when you can. And he felt reassured by that. He knew he had a partner. He knew he had someone who understood him because she's not freaking out about him freaking out. She expected it or she understands it at least. And that was so healthy that like the I love you, I thought was very sweet. And although I definitely want Nick and Jess together, I really did feel like this was sweet and I was sad to see Nick come home at the end of the episode. And I was kind of hoping it would take a couple more episodes and something big would happen to break them up.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. Like it, it actually was one of the healthiest parts of this whole thing with any interaction we've seen. Because really, not only is Nick getting reassured reassurance from Caroline, like She's the only person to that point who has reassured him because Jess is not reassuring him. And Schmidt and Winston are like, okay, bye. Like, I'm going to get a plumber. Bye. <laughs> like, please leave. And it was kind of like really mixed emotions, though, because like you're saying, it's like we maybe could have seen that play out a little bit longer. But then he's having a moment where he's like, okay, I'm ready to go back. And Jess shows up because she's helped come to help them. And he's like, okay, you're going to drive me back, right? But then Jess is like, heck no. (laughs) Like without so many words, but she immediately is like, okay, no, I'm not taking you back, which that's where I'm like, okay, Jess, you're still being petty about this. Like you can't let it go. You're being classic Jess right now. Like don't solve everybody's problems. Like I know you're sad,
0: (laughs) And I think that's kind of what like my point was about. Like, yes, she's sad. Yes, this is classic jest of like, I'm trying to solve people's problems, but I feel like she feels personally attacked by the fact that Nick is going back with Caroline. And maybe that's because she has feelings for him. Maybe that's because, you know, her first outing as a friend group basically was going to a wedding to stop him from getting back with Caroline. So I don't know if she takes it super personally that she couldn't stop him because her like personality is one that would take that personally if he couldn't stop her friend from getting back together with an ex that she was supposed to stop him from.
1: Yeah, I w- I mean, it wouldn't be unlike just to still be holding on to something like that for sure. So she throws her keys and they're stuck in the desert now with two vehicles and no keys. And so, because it's a moving van and because they have all of Nick's stuff, they like set up this camp. And it's kind of fun. Like, they kind of made it really fun.
0: It's so cute the way they made it like a tent, like they're camping out. Throughout this episode, I kind of started watching their clothing. And so, when they were back at the loft, when they were going in the morning before the move actually happened, like, I was like, wait, they're changing a lot. And I realized that when they were in the desert, they were basically all wearing Nick's clothes because that's his whole stuff is there because it's his moving truck. And I thought that was so cool that he's like, oh, we're just all hanging out. But it was like, they were actually all saying goodbye to Nick by bringing a piece of Nick with them. Like I felt like it was so symbolic because I don't think I've ever seen Schmidt wear flannel or plaid or anything like that. And he was sitting there with this blue plaid shirt on and- you know, Jess and Cece wearing these puffy jackets, and like that's all stuff from Nick's moving van. And I just felt like it was so symbolic of their like goodbye to him. You know,
1: that totally makes sense. And that's fun that you saw that because you're right. Schmidt and plaid is not something that we've seen. And I don't think we're going to see it again. That is really fun that they you know, were able to wear his clothes, which, you know, at one point it's funny because at one point I definitely thought to myself when Jess was like in the coat with the gloves on, I was like, where did she get the gloves? Like, how did she prepare? Didn't, how did she know that the desert would be so cold? Because that didn't seem like that was, she wasn't ever planning to come out and like stay overnight on purpose. You know, nobody was planning to stay overnight. And yeah, that's a really good thing that you noticed. I feel like, because that's, how they stay warm and how they made it work, especially because they didn't ever start a fire. I don't think, which would probably be very dangerous in California. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I don't think they started a fire either, but it was just so great that every character I felt like had something of Nick's on. Cause even Nick changed a little bit and, I think later, like, when he comes back, I feel like he's wearing a little bit more of a grown-up shirt, not, like, his usual style when he goes to talk to Caroline. And so, I feel like that's indicative of, like, okay, this isn't really me. And when he comes back, he's in his, like, usual clothing.
1: Yeah. No. A fun thing to watch. I mean, it was fun, too, to see, like, them dig through a little bit and find, like, past Nick's, like, mixtape with all the songs So they're playing in and they're, like, having a good time and hanging out. But then – Kind of in that moment, you know, we have a moment with Schmidt and Cece. And already in this episode, Schmidt and Cece have kind of their own storyline being woven throughout this. And so first, though, we we kind of see some kind of resolution to this broken penis thing in a way. And I guess Schmidt is going to the doctor to get his bandages taken off. And what went wrong? Like, what did you do that was wrong in what happened from when you had it fixed to now, like what what happened, Schmidt?
0: My guess is that every time you know we were talking about him staying away from CC and whether that was a good or bad thing. I think every time he was in pain around her and was aroused, it didn't allow it to heal properly, and that's what we're seeing the effects of. That when he took the cast off or whatever was on there. didn't heal properly which is why the doctor was like oh my gosh and he was like no this can't be my penis like what's happening and so that's why they end up putting it into like a hard cast I think they said and so I think it's just he didn't let it heal and now he's still in the process of letting it heal
1: I don't want the details on that but I also don't get it and I think I'll just be okay with that and move on (laughs) but but apparently because then apparently the new cast is like, I can get aroused without any problems at all. Like, whisper something in my ear when he goes to see And I just thought that was perfect. She's just like, fresh pressed linens. And he's like, nothing. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: That whole scene was ridiculous. Honestly, like, I thought it was cute that they were together like that. I didn't love seeing... Jealous Schmidt in that situation, but I also kind of understood its point. Like, what were they actually selling? Like I didn't understand from the ad she was shooting.
1: Well, and this is definitely pre, you know, Kim Kardashian sitting on a motorcycle in that Kanye West video. But that was the vibes I was getting from Cece sitting on this rocket with like leaning on top of it and like trying to do something. But yeah, it didn't didn't know what kind of scene or thing they were trying to sell there and Cece even looked kind of crazy. I Like, it wasn't even a good vibe. Like, really, what was she trying to model or, like, sell? I, I have no idea. But, like, you were mentioning, like, Schmidt was kind of jealous in the moment. I didn't really like seeing it either. And I really didn't understand why. Because then Schmidt is looking at her bag. And she gets this text from Gino, the one he was at, the one she was at the model shoot with. And the text itself was so crazy because it's just like, yeah, I remember your butt. I miss it or something, something really stupid. And you're just like, that wasn't even anything. That was like sexual harassment from a coworker, you know, (laughs) like more than it was anything that like should have affected Schmidt. To me, I'm just like, one, don't be looking at her phone. And two, don't look at her phone and then suddenly like not trust her. Because again, like I just said, like you don't know, why he sent that text to her. It wasn't anything like, hey, last night was great. Like, that would have been a little different. He still shouldn't have looked at the phone. But that text didn't actually say anything about Cece and her relationship with Schmidt, you know, and like, if it was in jeopardy. And Cece invited him to the shoot earlier. Like, he only knows who that guy is because Cece invited him to go and be there. I was just like, so mad. Like, Schmidt totally got in his head and totally was overworking this whole situation and like creating drama out of nothing. There was nothing to be upset or frustrated or sad or scared about. Like
0: he made it all up. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he made it all up in the sense that Cece didn't do anything wrong. Yes, I agree with that but I think it's just a way he's showing his own insecurities around all of this because he doesn't feel like he's good enough to be with Cece, which I feel like he's kind of even said in previous episodes, like we see more out of him or what he could be. If he tried, there was like previous episodes where like he said, like, or even just said to him that if you just ignore everything you do on purpose and see what you do by accident, you're a really great guy. And he just doesn't see himself in that light. And so I get where you're coming from. I don't think he's right for looking at her phone and not trusting her. And to your point, no, the text didn't say anything. It wasn't Cece sending that text and it wasn't anything like incriminating of something she had done and hidden. But like, I don't think he made it up necessarily. I think he just let his insecurities win in that situation.
1: Yeah, that's probably true because then he does start to eat a lot of jerky. (laughs) apparently Jess knows that like that's a sign that Schmidt's not doing okay and something is up and I don't know I, I feel like in that moment too he starts talking to Jess about what's happening and how he's feeling about CC and he's like I want her to be happy you know like and, he, and I think she even he even says didn't he say to Jess in that moment too that he was going to white fang her like officially yes yeah because then he starts explaining like what it is and Jess is like yes I, I do know what this is thank you <laughs>
0: thank you Schmidt <laughs> But that's because first she thinks it's like some sort of sex term. Oh, right. And she's like, I don't <laughs> want to know what it is. And then he explains it. She's like, wait, I know it. And it's like, okay, just like I get where you're coming from that you he can stop telling you. But also you did assume it was the wrong thing. So it's fair for him to explain.
1: It was, it was fair for him to explain. But what wasn't fair is like these insecurities because – he's, he's thinking to himself, Oh, I want Cece to be happy. And I have to let her go for her to be happy. And I'm just like, Cece was happy. You idiot. She literally took you to meet your, her grandmother. She was so happy. You had emotional, um, emotional intimacy with each, with each other. Schmidt, like, I want to grab him and shake him. Like,
0: what are you doing? I mean, it just brings about the classic will they, won't they vibe. Like this is the couple in sitcoms that I feel like are just going to break up and get together a lot just from what we've seen so far. They, you know, there was a will they, won't they, then they hooked up and stopped, hooked up and stopped. So I don't really know what's going to come next for them, but she was happy and he's just all up in his feels about it.
1: Yeah, for real. I will, the will they, won't they Maybe I wish it could have happened in a slightly different way. Kind of like we're trying to say, like, Nick and Caroline, will they? Won't they? Like, should it have happened maybe a little differently? However, the fact that this is a comedy and that we actually got to see Schmidt play out this whole white fang business actually made it work really well. (laughs) It was pretty great. I mean, I loved I loved how committed Schmidt was to what he was doing. You could not like break that man at all. He was committed. He was doing White Fang.
0: <laughs> I know. I did really think, though, in between, before he really dives into the White Fang, that the forehead kiss he gave Cece was so cute. But, like, you couldn't revel in the cuteness of the moment because immediately comedy. Because, I mean, he was deep into White Fang and, like, Cece just recognizing that it was white Fang was also priceless.
1: It, it really was. It really was priceless. And this, I mean, it's such a memorable moment of new girl too. Um, of just (laughs) what's what's involved. But I mean that I, I felt so sad, like it's this will they won't they like we're saying, like, it's, it's such a like, honestly, such a memorable moment of new girl because it's this hilarious moment of Schmidt doing white Fang to break up with Cece essentially to like set her free but then by the end of it it's such a real raw moment you know where he's kind of like just it's it's the insecurities like he's explaining them and I felt like he was so self-deprecating and he just didn't need to be ugh. but so it was like hilarious on one hand and on the other hand was like ugh like I'm wrecked. Devastating. Yes, devastating.
0: I'm just like, "Oh, Schmidt." And you know, it's really hard from Cece's position too because you want to be there for someone when they're in that situation, when they're feeling so low about themselves that you know, you have to be the person to pick them up, but then you're also getting broken up with and you know, he's kind of deciding for her what her standards are, what they can what she can handle. And we see this trope in like so many shows and movies where men break up with people before they can be broken up with basically and say, Oh, you, it's too much for you. I want to protect you. And she could have made her own decisions if she wasn't happy. I think he's just protecting himself a little bit too, from being dumped by her later.
1: Yeah. Like it was almost preemptive, but nothing was indicating that she was in a bad place, you know? Yeah. He, he, he was, he was deciding for her and, So, yeah, I'm with you that it makes put Cece in a bad spot because it's like Cece's not the kind of person from what we've seen in the season so far to be the one to kind of fight for something when she's being put off of it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like it's hard to fight through the anger of being told to think a certain way and act a certain way with, okay, but I do care about you and you're in a bad place too. Like he's putting her in a bad place so that she can't even help him.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I feel like, too, though, this White Fang thing, if you will, like this like concept of White Fang. Schmidt is explaining that to Jess before he actually does it to Cece, but Schmidt is explaining it to Jess. And Jess kind of takes that away because Nick gets fed up at some point and is start, starting to go look for some keys um, or for the keys for the van so that he can go and leave. But then to me... Jess is starting to follow him and what kind of comes out of that is Jess doing white fang in a way because she finally is realizing about herself that she just wants
0: Nick to be happy. I think that's so interesting that you phrase it that way. It's like the trope of if you love something, let it go, but it's it's different because what – Schmidt says to Jess resonates with her and I kind of got that but I didn't see what she did with Nick as white fanging and I like your perspective on it because it kind of is like she's telling him to go be with Caroline not just that like she doesn't care or she's okay with whatever she's encouraging it and that's really cool I like how new girl has these parallels sometimes that you think the story is about one character like control we thought was about Schmidt but we felt it was also about Jess and I feel like this is another time like that.
1: Yeah. No, really. I mean, and I mean, again, though, with the comedy on one hand and then like the broken heart on the other, because that scene, oh my gosh, was so great because, you know, Jess is following, stomping out, following Nick into the, into the canyon or whatnot in the desert. And an actual coyote comes up in the, like to find them or like, or to scare them. And (laughs) Nick the way he grabs her and like holds her to protect her in a way and like what they're doing. And then Jess, Jess just goes, meep, meep. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh God. (laughs) Just loved her for meep, meeping so many times. (laughs) She's so funny.
0: I think the third time was absolutely the best because Nick and her had talked some more, and they were like, "Okay, you're not gonna do this anymore. We're gonna do something else." And then you hear her just go meep meep, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh God, Jess! Like, oh my do gosh. you think this is gonna actually help? And why are you yelling at like at the coyote? And just in general, like, isn't that gonna make this animal mad?"
1: I don't know that me meeping was the right way to go, and it's very adorable. Like, I mean or as they used to describe Jess in 2012, adorable. how she connected, which like is its own thing, but how she connected uh, seeing a real life coyote to the whole like coyote roadrunner thing and how a roadrunner is what's going to scare a coyote. But really, honestly, what ended up doing it and she's like, oh, if, if, to beat the coyote, you have to be the coyote. And so she puts her hood up, which has this fur on it. And she's like crawling and growling or like howling to like scare the coyote. But being from Southern California, where there's actually these coyotes all the time, I will say the reason that worked in the end is because you're actually supposed to be big and assuming and loud so that you actually scare the coyote away. Because if you seem big and loud, then it gets scared of that. So it makes sense. So the yelling was good. <laughs> yes, the yelling was good. And the meat, meat being probably just confused it. It stalled the <laughs> stalled the coyote. <laughs> but the like her getting down and like being kind of this awkward shape probably did actually scare it.
0: Why did she have dirt in her mouth? Like, you can get on all fours and crawl around like a coyote without getting dirt in your mouth. Like, when she jumps up triumphantly, she's like, I have so much dirt in my mouth. And I was like, why? What were you doing? (laughs) Well, maybe
1: as she clawed the ground, it, like, sprinkled up in her mouth. Into
0: her mouth? I don't know.
1: Jess is special sometimes. I don't know how she does (laughs) things. She just meep-meeped at a real-life animal. That could have bit her. I don't know. But- I mean, it's, it's so cute, like, but this is this comedy mixed with what I was saying the comedy and then like the heartbreak in a way, because we're having this hilarity meet me coyote moment, but then somehow the coyotes not attacking long enough for them to have the conversation, a conversation around like, okay, like, let's talk about this. And Nick's just like, no, I don't want to talk about it. But then that's where I thought she's white fanging him in a way because she essentially is just like, I want you to be happy. And I know that I'll be fine because I met you. Like literally just because you were in my life, that's enough. Like she comes to terms with that, which I'm like, what a way to just like put your heart on a table for this guy. Like, oh my gosh, like that's so
0: vulnerable of her. Yeah. I mean, extremely vulnerable. And I liked that Nick appreciated it too because before she says that he says no you need me too much so they know each other and they know like nobody said that nick needed just but i think we all knew that nick needed just too and it's so nice to see that appreciated and acknowledged because you know back when she was being such a good friend with him about like being injured and potentially finding a tumor, he was like, oh, you can't speak at my funeral and like being mean to her. And I, it's so nice to see how far we've grown that it's not just like drunk on pain pills when he's saying like, I care about you and stuff. And you can see that permeating every aspect, especially in this scene.
1: Well, and even, and even in this scene, like I totally agree with you 100%, but then even in this scene, he, he like is acknowledging that she is acknowledging to just be okay with it and truly letting him go. And it's almost like the fact that she let him go is what freed him to want to stay in a way. You know what I mean? Because at the end, like at the end of this whole scene too where the coyote finally runs away, he's so excited that he even like grabs her and like is like holding her and hugging her. And I'm just like, ooh, the chemistry, <laughs> like this is real, <laughs> this is hot. <laughs>
0: Do you think that part of why Nick wants to move in with Caroline is because Jess doesn't want him to and he wants to prove her wrong? Like, he is good enough to do this. He is, like, in the next phase of his life kind of thing. I mean, maybe to prove her wrong a little bit. It could also be that, like, he wants – yeah, prove her wrong in – Like, not that it's the only reason that he's doing it, but, like, that that is one of the reasons. And when that kind of falls through, like you're saying – he goes and sees Caroline and kind of realizes that this is not the place I'm supposed to be.
1: Yeah, like I feel like when he, it's like seeing himself as past Nick with the long hair, like Caroline ruined your life. Like he almost was not only trying to prove Jess wrong, but maybe trying to prove like Schmidt and Winston wrong too. And I think we were discussing in the last episode even that Nick is, or I was discussing, what I was thinking is that Nick is the one who's really grown maybe more than Caroline. So even in this moment, it's like, maybe even though Nick is, has saw himself as past Nick and he's like, no guys, like, I'm going to go lease an apartment with Caroline. I just signed it. And Jess is trying to convince him like, no, like you don't need Caroline. You're successful and all this stuff. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this because even like you said, like the paint, the paint colors at the beginning, he was, he was doing and saying things that he's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. But he didn't need to be doing it. But it's, it's almost like he was trying to prove a point of like an idea that we all have in a way, but then it was to everybody,
0: even himself. I figured he was trying to prove it to Schmidt and Winston too, but I fig—I kind of thought that he had, that wasn't really as important once they accepted. Yeah, he's gonna go, we're just gonna do this. We're gonna um, spend all this money, whatever. And so I felt like, you're right. He did need to prove it to himself. And I feel like just was one of the last things that he was still proving that he could do more. And maybe it's a combination of seeing that she accepted him moving on as well and realizing that her acceptance means that he can accept it for himself, which is really great. And to your point, exactly right. Like He has grown so much from the pilot.
1: Yeah, so much. And there's so much that he... While he's still very insecure about things and like obviously still needs to figure out how to use his words better instead of throwing his keys into a canyon, um, (laughs) he at least is realizing what he wants and what's best for him and not what what Caroline wants of him, if that makes sense. Because we didn't get to see. So like the next morning, they all stay overnight in the desert and they're going to take him to drop him off but like we don't get to see him and Caroline actually like break up but I imagine it's him doing what's best for him
0: yeah we really don't see that much of Caroline but even before that you know I loved that when they dropped Nick off in the morning Schmidt gave this Fredo kiss again and which is like return of the Fredo kiss from injured it was amazing to see that it was back
1: yeah. You know, this episode really had a lot of callbacks to different points in the seasons, just like little one-liners or little moments and that was that was really really a cute thing to see is is the Fredo kiss. Like Schmidt really cares for Nick, which we all know. And Schmidt just went through this like weird kind of breakup in a way with Cece, and so Schmidt needed his friend.
0: Yeah. I think it's great that it's a season finale with all these callbacks that you're talking about cuz it's like Kind of like wrapping up the entire season together.
1: Yeah. Well, and then, you know, when they're dropping him off at the apartment, it was just kind of a weird thing because even Cece gives Nick a hug. Like, Cece's and everyone's in the car and, you know, Nick's out, everyone's saying bye and Cece gives Nick a hug. But then, like, even Jess, it's like, it's like too hard for Jess in that moment to like stop and give him a hug. So it's just like a look. And then that's where we get the name of the episode because she just goes, see ya, you know, like, oh, oh, I don't know. I loved, it was, it was like such a touching moment because she really, like, she was staying true to what she was saying in the desert because she's like, see ya, you know, like, go on, like, really be free and be happy. Like, White Fang, White Fang. Go on, get. <laughs> go on, get. <laughs> um, and, but then, you know, of course, the episode ends where Jess looks out the window and she sees the moving van and she's like, wait a minute, you know, like what's that doing here? And we hear W N I C K, which I loved. I was like, Oh, he made his own like radio announcement. W N I C K listeners. Like here's this hit for you. And it's ACDC all night long and everyone starts dancing, but
0: isolated from each other, but they're also happy. And dancing. I actually really enjoy that they were separate because it was like, okay, we know we're all happy about this together, but we're experiencing it ourselves. And it allowed Jess and Nick to share a look that no one else was a part of, which I think is really adding to their chemistry and stuff. But I also... Like we we're talking about callbacks. There were so many just even in the scene, like Winston, we see the little mural bedroom wall we've talked about before. And then Jess is doing her little chicken dance from the wedding episode. And I was so excited to see all of this. And Schmidt's not really doing parkour, but just to throw him in there, kinda, he was doing like all sorts of stunts on his bed. He was, he did a legit backflip onto his bed. I was like, whoa, what did
1: I just see? And Winston, too, being that guy who's like, okay, turn it down. Like, we're done with this, right? Like, you know, I want to go back to sleep.
0: (laughs) Oh, I know. It was so cute. And it was so nice to see them all so happy from just like earlier when they were looking at Nick's couch hole. And all three of them were so visibly sad about it. And it was nice to see them, you know, back in their element with, with the loft mates back together.
1: It was. It was fun. Real quick. Do we want to talk about this whole Neil character? We literally haven't talked about him at all. My two cents about this whole Neil thing is that did we even need him in this episode? I vote no. I did not like that they were trying to make this happen. There were like a few funny moments in this episode with Neil, the new roommate, but in general, we did not need him. It took away from like the cute sentimental moments with the rest of them. And he's not just like, be gone, Neil. We're done. We're done with you, Neil. (laughs)
0: Okay, I didn't think he was unnecessary. I thought he brought some really great comic moments. I mean, right from the beginning, we find out that it's because he he got it because they put out an ad on Craigslist and he responded with a fax, which, okay, like, how did they even receive that fax? Like, where does it
1: go? It had only been, like, like let's assume a week, you know? Nick goes, oh, I'm going to put in for this lease. I'm going to move out. And It just seemed so quick to find a new roommate and someone so ready and eager to not only get interviewed and to move in, but that the way that he responded to it was with a fax and I, which hilarious, but it's like, how did anybody in that loft receive that fax? Like if they didn't leave a fax number on their Craigslist ad, how were they going to know that this person was even interested? (laughs)
0: Maybe they did. Maybe they left a fax number and he actually responded because that's the kind of thing they would do. Like, just like, oh, just for, you know, giggles, let's put on a fax number, see who responds. But I thought there were so many more comic moments with Neil, though, like him kind of saying, I had to fire myself because I'm in HR. Or like when he moves in, he's like, singing about i guess i was like i like to move in move in like that's <laughs> comedy gold
1: it was pretty funny he's like yeah it was i've i've been going through a rough time because of that and you're just like you had to fire yourself that's never oh like I, well and i think what he said is he had to let himself go and i'm like you laid yourself off like what? And even some of the scenes, then that they see, like they're like Winston is like mentioning how Jess like lets guy the guys know that she's going to the bathroom by bringing a triangle, and like just all these things. Like Jess was so against it because I don't know, maybe Jess thought that like not having Nick in, like not having. A new roommate meant Nick could be staying. I don't know what she thought. Like she was just trying to find ways that like she didn't want him. And they're trying to be like Jess. Like you were you were insane when we met you. Like you're much like we let you live here and it's been fine.
0: I loved again a callback, but I loved when we saw the loft mates discussing whether to let Neil move in or not because it was extremely parallel to the pilot where all the guys were in there trying to decide whether Jess could live there or not. And all their important decisions happened in that bathroom.
1: Yeah. It was, it was pretty fun to see all of them huddle in the bathroom and like sink and like determine what's supposed to happen and like whatnot. Cause that's like you said, the exact same thing that happened. So yeah, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot of different things. One other thing too, though, that was like, When we were seeing Salty Jess and in Attitude Jess, you know, Cece comes over and, like, that's how Cece sees Neil and, like, meets who this Neil character is. And she's like, oh, do you want to do a sex-only thing with him? And I'm like, Jess, like, you're just firing it out at everybody. I don't know. She just was (laughs) – it just was, like, all – all downhill for Jess in this episode until she had her moment where she realized that she needed to like just let things go because Jess was resilient in letting people
0: do what they wanted to do. I don't know, just was a lot. She was definitely taking out everything that she felt on other people until she could make her peace with it.
1: Yeah, no for sure. So with all that happened in this episode, most most definitely is this whole white thing scene, you know, as like the real cherry on top of Kritika being our Schmidt for these 24 episodes. (laughs) You're really going to want to hear her doing Schmidt's white fang. (laughs) So we're going to kick it off and I'm going to be Cece in this scene.
0: We need to talk.
1: All right. This isn't another one of those Merlot is the horror of the vineyard talks, is it?
0: This isn't working out.
1: Are you kidding right now? Are you trying to end this with me?
0: And then he hugs her and kisses her forehead. And then, now go on. You heard me. Go on. Go on. Scram. Go. I hate you. Go. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Go back to your kind. Are you
1: white fanging me? Sorry, what? White Fang Schmidt, the only book on your Kindle, the one that you wouldn't stop talking about. Remember, I said please stop talking about White Fang, and you said someday I'm gonna do this to somebody. That White Fang. Uh huh. <laughs> bravo, <laughs> bravo, good job, Kritika. with the with the real rebel yell. <laughs> of Schmidt yelling to go, go on, get. I will say, mini story about this whole moment too, is this is another another time where I, this is like memorable. If anyone, like I said earlier, this is a memorable scene. If it's really not memorable for a lot of people, I'm sorry for you guys, because for me, when I first saw this, my husband and I are like now husband and I, when we saw this before, when we were dating, this was a mo- like a scene in television that we would just refer back to. And anytime we were like mad or like wanting someone to go, we'd be like, go on, get, I don't need you anymore. I don't want you. It's just such a fun moment to think of Schmidt, like, and it's not even from the movie, like, because there's a movie and there's a book, but it's not even from the movie White Fang. It's only this scene of Schmidt white fanging Cece that I'm like, this is, this is what I want to recap in my life and like refer back to is like, go on, get, I don't need you anymore. (laughs) Like when you're trying to seem tough, but you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You're so- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it I love this scene so much thank you Elizabeth Merweather for creating this
0: <laughs> it's such a good use honestly I have to say unfortunately I didn't remember this going in but watching this just was amazing to watch with that in mind because I had no idea it was coming I'm I'm so glad you got to be re-surprised <laughs>
1: Many of many of the episodes this season, I feel like I got, I didn't remember all that really happened because it had been so long since I'd first seen it. But this, before we even got to this episode, I knew all the plot points. I remembered it so, so clearly.
0: So switching gears a little bit, getting into our not in 2020, we didn't have a lot this episode. The one that we wanted to highlight, we've actually talked quite a bit about already. And it's how Jess continues to push her own views on Nick and like we've talked on previous podcasts too, how she thinks she knows best and how she handled a lot of this until the white fanging situation occurred. And the silver lining here is she does end up getting to a point where she's okay with it, but it was really hard to watch Jess in that position for a while.
1: Yeah, like as as much as it was kind of funny at times with some of the quick comebacks and like one-liners that Jess had, she was, like I said earlier, very, very salty, very manipulative, and just very focused on her own agenda of keeping Nick where she wanted him and having that control. Honestly, that was a callback to control in and of itself. And is as much as she got, like the silver lining, like we said, like she got to that resolution of letting Nick go and letting Nick do what was best for him. It just it took her a little while to get to that point in the way she was trying to help him do the best thing. Like again, just doing her classic dress of just thinking she knows what's best and like pushing that agenda. She still has some learning to do. So like Adika said, it wasn't a lot for not in 2020, but then with our pop culture segment... There was quite, quite a few references and moments in this episode. We're going to list all of them in our show notes, which you can find at smallscreenchatter.com. One of the ones that we're going to include in that is White Fang, both links to the book, links to the movie, and just some different clips in there. We're not going to dive too much into that in our pop culture segment. Um, But instead, we're going
0: to talk about Nick's mixtape music. Yeah, so there was four songs that we noted that came off of his mixtape. So the first one being Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. So this released in about 1995, which Kelly did the math, and that about tracks to when Nick would be about 14, most of these songs would have been popular or just coming out. So Deep Blue Something was an American rock band, and they're very well known for the 1995 hit single Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was on their album song, but re-released on their album Home later after being re-recorded. And that album achieved gold record status, but the band itself has been kind of known as a one-hit wonder because this was the band's only hit and everything after that couldn't really match the success of Breakfast at Tiffany's.
1: Yeah, I definitely remember this song from when I was growing up and it's very, very catchy. So I totally see how it was a one-hit wonder, but I don't I've never heard of this band and I didn't know like this is one of those songs that like came out of that time and it definitely sounds like it's from the early 90s. But then I wouldn't have known if they recorded other songs or not, you know, like I I just know the song on its own. It's its own living thing.
0: Yeah, that's how I kind of feel about the second one that he had, How Bizarre, which is by OMC, which stands for Otara Millionaires Club. So this one actually came out in like December 1995. Sometimes they're referred to as 96. And this band was a New Zealand music group. And the full name of it is kind of this like tongue in cheek reference to the fact that Otara is actually one of the poorest suburbs of Auckland. So it's kind of like a play on that. But this song has been used in a lot of things. Things like the 1998 movies Palmetto, The Parent Trap, and it's also the in the first episode of the second season of the show Clueless, which is not the movie, but based on the movie. But I thought the song was so great because I actually know it from TikTok because this got really popular in TikTok in last year, 2020. And there's over 100,000 videos made with the sound. And they've had like a total of like 1.4 billion views. So although this song came out in the late, mid 90s, it's gotten so much more popular again in the 2020s. Um, so what I'm hearing,
1: Kritika, is that you did not stand Lin- Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap when it first came out. And so much so that you had the album on a CD And you listened to the Parent Trap album in your boombox for hours on end and knew this song backwards and forwards because it was on that album of the Parent Trap soundtrack because that's how I know this song. Not because of TikTok and not because of this last year, but literally from the Parent Trap and the Parent Trap soundtrack.
0: (laughs) So I obviously know the Parent Trap very well, but I definitely cannot say I know the soundtrack well enough to have recognized the song at all. (laughs)
1: The next song on the mixtape is
0: mm, 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 mm,
1: and I'm not joking. That is the name of that song. It is by the crash test dummies it came out in 1993. The crash test dummies are a Canadian rock band. They're from Winnipeg, Manitoba in this song. Each verse, I guess, describes isolation and suffering of a child. And two of those have physical abnormalities. I've heard of this song before. I've heard the clips of it going, mm, 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 mm. don't quote me on those pitches. It's very a monotonous song. <laughs> I don't love it, um, but apparently, when it released, it was super successful, and it's frequently now listed on the most awesomely bad songs ever. So, in the past, we've featured a lot of different people in our pop culture who are like the greatest songwriters of all time from the Rolling Stone. Magazine, but now Rolling Stone is calling this song one of the 15 most annoying songs, or like the 15th most annoying song. It's not surprising.
0: (laughs) That's amazing that it's kind of flipped the script on what we normally see in these pop culture references.
1: Nick redeemed himself on his mixtape because the last song, or maybe the first song, or whatever kind of order it was, that we hear in the episode that still came from his mixtape was You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. This song came out in 1986, and ACDC is an Australian rock band formed in Sydney, and it's formed, though, with Scottish-born brothers Malcolm and Angus Young. And ACDC is actually an abbreviation of alternating current direct current in reference to electricity, and... The brothers, Malcolm and Angus Young, felt that this name symbolized the band's raw energy and power-driven performances of their music. So this song specifically, Shook Me All Night Long, was their first single with the new lead singer, Brian Johnson, replacing Bon Scott, who had died um, in 1980. So originally this song was like come, put together in 1980, but it came out in 1986, just because of that lead singer passing away. But this song as well has, is placed at number 10 on VH, VH1's list of the 100 hundred Greatest Songs of the 80s. So quite different than the mm mm song. You Should Feel Night Long is a big hit and very, very singable. And obviously very danceable, because that's what the whole apartment danced to at the end of the episode.
0: Yeah, I have to say when it started playing on the speakers or on the show, I was definitely jamming out with them as well. So in this episode, we also see Mary Elizabeth Ellis or Caroline. We've obviously seen her in a couple episodes so far, and we promised you we would do a guest star spotlight on her. So here it is. Obviously, Mary Elizabeth Ellis has been in so many things, like the list goes on and on. Some of her movies are Godmothered, How It Ends, Masterminds, The Truth About Lies, and then she's also done notable TV shows like Without a Trace, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Santa Clarita Diet, The Grinder. She was in some episodes of Happy Endings, and obviously she was a new girl. She also did an episode of Reno 911. So she's been in so many things.
1: A lot, a lot, a lot. And It's so funny too, because I, I will say I'm a big fan. I've seen every episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And then only much, much later after I'd seen many of the seasons found out that she's actually married to Charlie day and he's just her co-star from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I was just like, this is my, my mind's blown because they're just in so many scenes together. And it's such a long running show that she's literally done that since 2005 and it's still going. And yeah. And so I, I at least she's done so much and she's been, like we said, and she has played so many different types of characters and is really like can lend herself to different, many different types of roles. But at one point, like, or at some level, I'm still just like, she's the waitress. (laughs) And it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's where I really connect, connect her with. But I have started following her. I like, am actually quite a fan because I've started following her on Instagram recently and have seen, she actually is from Mississippi and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Charlie. And (laughs) she actually taught gymnastics for 10 years as well. And she's really into kickboxing now. She does a lot of kickboxing classes. So
0: I'm a big fan. Mary Elizabeth Ellis. Very cool. I think her most notable thing for me was probably Santa Clarita Diet most recently, and she's amazing in that as well.
1: Yeah, no, she's really great in that. The other guest star that we want to focus on in this episode is Thomas Lennon, who plays Neil, the character that I didn't think needed to be in the episode. However, the person that they chose to play it is a great actor. Thomas Lennon has been in movies like Nine at the Museum, Seventeen Again, and I Love You Man. He is like the main star of Reno 911. So I thought it was kind of fun that both Mary Elizabeth Ellis and Thomas Lennon had kind of had that little crossover. But then he's also the voice of characters in American Dad, Bob's Burgers, and Archer. He also, like Mary Elizabeth Ellis, was in Santa Clarita Diet was in the TV version of Lethal Weapon and was in The Odd Couple. So also has done a lot of different things and a lot of different characters.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that he's actually written like a young adult novel too on top of all of this. Like it's called Ronan Boyle and the Bridge of Riddles and it looks like it's actually a series of books, which is pretty cool. I don't know how all of these people do so much. Like they're actors, they're authors, they're doing all of this work. It's very cool. He must not sleep. (laughs) Exactly. And our last guest star that we're gonna quickly touch on is Gino played by Matthew Stephen Smith, who is the model that Cece is um, doing her shoot with. And he's been in some things like The Beloved, which is a movie, and he's done reality shows like Too Hot to Handle in America's Next Top Model. And Too Hot to Handle is something that actually just came out in 2020. So it was very top of mind. So when we saw this immediately, I was like, oh, I remember him from this show. And it's so weird to see him on like New Girl, like actually acting.
1: Yeah, I've seen some episodes of Too Hot to Handle and know, now that I've looked it up, like totally know who he is on that show. But then I'm like, wait, why is he a New Girl? <laughs> like you have to like, I don't know. I always forget- I mean, I don't forget, but I don't think about really hard that all these reality stars are really just trying to be actors (laughs) or (laughs) whichever way they go about it.
0: (laughs) But, you know, I think it's also interesting that he has also published a book. He has a children's book called The Windy. So I'm telling you, everybody is doing everything. He's a model. He's an actor. He is like a COO of this company about branding and marketing. And he's published a children's book. So where are all these people finding the time? And on top of all of that, he's too hot to handle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we're gonna get into our trivia and fun facts now. And as we kind of noted through the discussion, we already saw so many callbacks. That was a lot of fun moments in the episode where we saw a lot of different things there. But one thing that we read about on IMDb, but then did some kind of research into it just to really confirm, we were so obsessed with that White Fang scene Cece makes such a point that all Schmidt's been reading on his Kindle recently is White Fang. And that's how he knows about the scene. And that's like why he wants to do this scene. Um, Like he wanted to do this to someone someday, but in the book, White Fang, the dog that doesn't actually get sent away. So in the movie from 1991, Ethan Hawke plays the main character and sends white fang like the wolf dog away because he's letting him go similar to what he schmidt was trying to do with Cece, he's letting him go and be in the world to be free to like be happy away from him but in the book the main character takes the dog with him to the town that they end up in and it ends with the dog like really happy having like fathered some pups and with a wife dog. I don't know how they're like doing personification with these dogs and the white fang, but it's not what Schmidt read because that's not what happened in the book. It only happened
0: in the movie. So I wonder if this was a choice by the writers to specifically make it this way, because it's completely believable that Schmidt would have just watched the movie and said he read the book, even if he has desert island books. I feel like that's totally doable, but I can't tell if this is like a choice they made or if the writers or whoever wrote this just didn't realize that this didn't happen in the book and it only happened in the movie.
1: Knowing the age range that they're trying to give the characters, which I'm imagining is also somewhat the age range of the people helping write the show, especially Elizabeth Merriweather. I would think that they maybe this is really like a goof because you would think that something so crucial of how it ends and like sending the dog away versus keeping the dog and like have a happy ending and I keep calling it dog but the wolf like sending it away versus having a happy ending like I feel like you'd actually know if you read the book or if you saw the movie.
0: And also when he tells it to Jess, she says, I know the plot of White Fang. So she, as a teacher, didn't correct him either. So maybe they really didn't know. Yeah, maybe they didn't know. By getting into our ratings for this episode, IMDb rated this episode a 7.9 out of 10. And when this first aired, we finally saw a little bit of an uptick. And it's 5.61 million US viewers. My rating was actually pretty similar to IMDb. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I liked this episode, and talking about it has definitely hyped me up for it a lot more, but when I was just watching it through, there were parts that just didn't grip me that much, even though maybe it was just being sad that this was kind of a season finale. I gave this episode a 9 out
1: of 10. It is just so memorable for me. I, Like I said, I before even watching this episode, I would still remembered – everything that happened in it. I just thought everything in it was so clever and so funny. They end up in the desert. They throw the keys. They're never going to get those back. Like, I just thought this is, it has to be, I don't even remember all the episodes from all the different seasons, but this is definitely high on my favorites list of New Girl. So I gave it a nine out of 10. My favorite character in this episode, though, can you guess? It's Schmidt. (laughs) That White Fang, that White Fang scene, just really, I I will forever love Max Greenfield for giving me this scene. So Schmidt has to be my favorite character.
0: Mine was Nick. I thought he showed so much growth and he had so many memorable lines too. White Fang was definitely a close second, but Nick was just the show stealer for me, just how he handled it all and just him being back in the loft and ready to take on the next season. So at this point, we're going to get into our spoiler section. So for anyone who has not watched the rest of the show or you don't want to hear about any future storylines, this is your chance to break away. But first, Kelly and I want to say thank you. This is our last episode of season one. So thanks for sticking around and listening to this episode of Who's That Girl. We love to hear your feedback as always. So please leave us a comment in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this now and give us a rating. You can always reach us at who's that girl at gmail.com or on social media at who's that girl pod. We hope to see you back in about three weeks. We're going to be doing a season one recap episode of the whole season and we hope you'll be back for that. Now you have five more seconds to get out before the spoilers start. So getting into our endgame couples at the end of season one, here's where we stand. So Jess and Nick, super exciting. They're obvious chemistry. We've been talking about it the whole podcast. So we actually gave them a 7 out of 10.
1: It's very exciting to see the two of them kind of grow, even though they're not close. It doesn't seem like they're close to truly dating each other. They've kind of got to another level of their friendship and where they're at with each other from this episode, from the end of the season, and how – they come to an understanding with each other. Also, there's so much like touching. There's so much touching that you know that there's going to be something. Like it's giving it away. You know, there's just too much chemistry for them not to have anything. So that's why we gave it a seven out of 10. Schmidt and Cece, we gave them a lower rating. So I think the last few episodes we were saying 10 out of 10. They're this really great couple. We're so excited. But then as we kind of touched in this episode, They kind of created this thing out of thin air, out of Schmidt's head insecurities, and now they're kind of broken up. So it's a 5.5 out of 10 in this episode because they had, like, some okay moments together. There were some things there, but there also wasn't. So then they're kind of broken up.
0: Yeah, it was really sad for them this episode. The whole White Fang scene we love kind of... Tanked this ranking, but that's also kind of why we made Schmidt's douchebag rating a five out of 10. So, always the 10 out of 10 is Schmidt's a total douchebag, and zero is that he's a super genuine guy. And he was kind of right in the middle for us this episode because he had some moments like how he was treating Nick about Nick leaving and how he kind of broke up with Cece, but he was also so vulnerable about it and the reasoning behind it. So, it was really split even at a five out of 10 for us.
1: Yeah, and that's really all the spoilers we have from the end of season one. As Kritika mentioned, we are going to have a season one recap episode for you next. That's going to come in about three weeks. And we're going to really wrap up everything from the whole season, as well as some of our moments and some of the things that we tracked in Gave in information on all season long and anything that we might have missed from some of the episodes all season long. So, we really want to thank you, especially for sticking around with us through episode 24 of season one. And please, 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 especially as we we're prepping our season one recap, write to us at who's that girl pod at gmail.com. Message us on Instagram or Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod, and we're really excited to see you back for that recap episode.